All right, welcome everybody to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, your gracious host, uh, coming at you once again. Uh, so in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, uh, well-dressed people doing well-dressed things. <laughs> uh, say hello, Richard James. Hello, Richard James. Hello, hello, Richard James. And I am in a suit today. I, I, as I would have expected. Um, I'm sorry I, I dumbed it down for you. No, I actually, we were just talking about your T-shirt, which I think is fantastic. It's got a great bowler hat, a, an English rose on it, and I feel very... Uh, very special for you wearing that. So I'm a little, I'm a little on brand for your presence. I'll go with that. Um, so speaking of being on brand, uh, tell us a little bit of, of of about your work. So I work helping people connect their passion, purpose with profit through their authentic personal brand, and my work encompasses everything from politicians through to celebrities, Olympic athletes, all the way down to I had a young lady in my office last week who was really concerned about who she was and what she was going to go and study at college. And so we get to that really, really depth of who someone is and how are they showing up to the world so that then the world can actually meet you in the middle. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, they look at personal brands and they think it's all about Instagram and things like that, which is where I initially started, right? Working with the celebrities on saying, I need to grow to my followers to a million, two million, three million. And there are so many tricks you can do with that, but it needs to be authentic. Right. And when it's authentic, magic can happen. And so that's what I do. I help people connect with their authentic personal brand, who they really are in all their passion, in all their purpose and authentically so that they can live the very best version of themselves. Now, there's a young woman you mentioned. Uh, I know when I was 17, 18, 20, I had no clue, right? And, and uh, I have friends who knew what they wanted to do when they were seven, right? It, but um, that's a very, it's a transitional period uh, of life. How do you help somebody like that? Let's just stick with that example for a second. Um, uncover what's next for them. Well, I, I think there are two stages in life. And a lot of us don't go through the second stage. Right. The first stage is all about conformity. So we're born, we begin to cry and we begin to poop and we're saying, I need to. I do to both at the same time. By the you way, do. Most, uh, most days. Is it always that you cry when you poop? Because yes. you might want to get that looked at. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. So I don't want to... <laughs> well, uh, we might get to that later because uh, I have <laughs> Maybe a similar you can problem. Help me with that. Um, but ultimately, what we need to do is conform. Right. And we conform to survive. And then we go to school. And we have to conform again because you don't want to be the odd kid out at school, especially in America. We saw these great movies when I was growing up in England of these cliques. And are you the cool kids or are you not? Are you the back lot? Are you the, <laughs> right. I don't know, grunge kids, whatever that is. And so we have to fit in. And then we get into adulthood and we don't know how to stand apart. But the truth is, actually, you know what you like. And when you were 16, 17, you knew what you liked you perhaps didn't realize that you can embrace that fully in yourself. And so you've gone on this journey to really understand who you are. And for some of us, something happens in our life where we're able to double down on that. But for many, they come up and we have that moment um, in the matrix, the red pill, blue pill. And we're not willing to take that step because the fear because of everything that's going to risk by stepping into who we authentically are because we're going to be different from everyone else. Right. And we grow up wanting to make everyone happy. We want to make our parents happy. We want to make the kids at school happy. We want to make the people at work happy. 
But by doing that, we devalue who we are. Right. So the first step that, that I do with clients when they come in is we say, who are you? So the very first client I did this with, I was doing a lot of online work. I was a director. I'd written stuff. The last movie I did was I wrote a superhero movie for Walt Disney that was absolutely dreadful. But you've won some Emmys too, so you got, uh, yeah, you got it's, it's balanced. I did. And funnily enough, the Emmy was one of the worst things I ever made in my life. <laughs> what was it? It was, what was it, uh... it was called Behind the Lyrics. Right. But it was actually the most authentic thing I'd ever made. So on mm. a technical level, it was shit. And I feel so embarrassed about it. But in terms of something that was authentic to me, it's the most authentic thing I've ever done in my life. And that's what came across. It didn't have to be technically brilliant. Yeah. It had to touch the heart. That's, even with this show, sorry, I just took a bite of food, which is going to be my point. Is that there's a lot of like flubs. Sometimes, you know, the audio quality isn't the, the you know, the, at the level I, I would want. Shout out to Nightbird. They're killing it today. Great place here. <laughs> really lovely. Um, but there's all sorts of things that can get in the way. But hopefully, because we're having great conversation and people are walking away with gems and feel like connected to the dialogue we can do away with, with some of the perfection. I'll, I'll put in quotation marks. Uh, the thing is, we all want to be heroes. And this is the biggest drawback about building personal brands. And we see it all the time on Instagram, these great feeds where everyone's got these great lives. And we all want to be heroes that are strong and powerful. But the truth is, most heroes are not strong and powerful. They have weaknesses. They make mistakes. And the reason why we love watching movies and we love seeing hero stories is because they show that vulnerability. Now, those heroes don't have to be heroes for everyone. And that's one of the biggest part of building your own personal brand is recognizing you don't have to be loved by everyone. And for me, growing up as an actor back in the UK and standing on a stage, I wanted everyone's, everyone's applause. And when I wouldn't get it, I'd feel really depressed. But the tipping point came when I said, you know what? I want people to do one of two things. I either want them to love me or I want them to hate me. And I don't care which, but just don't be in the middle. Right. And so now I make a conscious effort to be who I am so that I can get rid of all the shit because I only have 365 days in a year. I don't know whether I'm going to be hit by a bus tomorrow. Hopefully not. Knock on wood. But I don't want to waste five minutes with someone who doesn't really connect with me. So let's find out really quickly by me being purposeful in who I am and what I love and cut the rest. Yeah. It sounds like you work with a lot of, well, I guess uh, the spirit of entrepreneurship, right? Like it's who are you, what do you want to create, and how do you present it to the world? And sometimes like who you're, if I'm the CEO of, a, of an organization, everything that happens there is some sort of extension of me. Um, so I, and I don't know if I have a question there, but I think that's just, it feels like that's something in your world that you, that you touch on. If we're all going to be living the life that we're meant to be leading, we're all entrepreneurs and we're all innovative in our life. You've got to be. Otherwise you're conforming to other people's innovation and entrepreneurship and you're not living out your true purpose. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going and launching a business. Right. That doesn't necessarily you can be an entrepreneur in an organization already. One hundred percent. You can be entrepreneurial in the way you're approaching being a father rather than trying to copy all the other great dads around you or the great mums who turn up with their hair done at school. And so I think entrepreneurship is at the core of really owning who you are and then innovating 
based on your heart. Right. And that for me is is that's how I got into this space. I built up a a really large social media agency here in town. Fanology. Fanology. And we work with all different types of celebrities. And the first thing that I'd ask them when they come in is, who are you and why should people care? How do people answer that question? Like, if, if that's, if it's, is it literally the first thing? I mean, obviously it's like, hey, how you doing? But then, <laughs> sometimes it's straight in, right? Right. Some people have an answer, most people don't. And that's fine. But what I began to see was the people who said, wow, I don't know, let me think about this, let's discuss it and go on that journey, were the people whose careers I'd see really take off. And the people, and it was probably 60% of people that go, uh, yeah, you know what, I just, I want to make a lot of money and I want a ton of fans. So how do we do it? Let's. I don't want to play that game of getting into who I am right. and what I offer. I just want the glory. Um, so what we saw with Fanology was that the people who'd really dig deep and the brands that would really dig deep as well could be game changers. Yeah. But that came not only from passion and purpose from the individual, but passion and purpose from those people that they surround themselves by at the same time. Is it harder or I guess maybe what are the differences when you are dealing with brands? And because, you know, a cultural identity and a, a the brand, the way the brand presents itself and how people experience it is exactly what it's a, I guess, a collective personal brand. Um, so what's that? What are those differentiations? I think one of the best stories that I heard was um, NASA. And there was a group of um, journalists going and making a documentary on NASA. And they were looking to put someone on the moon. And they're going around interviewing all the experts at NASA. What do you do? Oh, I'm the chief scientist of rocket number six whatever it is you can tell i'm not a scientist uh, i've seen rocket number six it's oh my goodness really fast is it is it really good yeah. well that scientist did really Doesn't well as much gas either so yeah the the tesla version unlit it and tesla is actually a great example of a company that really brings everyone together but they saw a guy mopping the floor and the journalist said here's an opportunity for some humor we're going to go and ask him what is he doing and they went and asked this guy and they said hey you work at nasa what do you do he <laughs> And the guy said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. When you get an organization that is aligned behind mission, vision, and values, amazing things can happen. And then you see organizations where you have people, they're on the right seat, right? They can do the job, but they're on the wrong bus. They're not going to the same destination. And so when we look at building corporations and your business, we need to look at who are the individuals within that business and are they aligned behind passion and purpose? And are they authentically showing up to do those great things behind a leader who has a real sense of understanding over who they are and why they're doing it? And for me, I've worked with companies like EA uh, where we take them on these big retreats and we just really dive down into who they are. And I work with a guy called Philip Folsom, who's a cultural tribe expert. Phenomenal guy. Have you met him? I, I know his name, but I oh, have not met him. Great guy. Um, but the key is really getting those people together to align them behind passion and purpose. And there are a couple of institutions that do that really well, right? The army. The army go in and they beat out anything that's to do with you as an individual. And then they download what your passion and your purpose is. Right. And then they dump you out afterwards and you're completely lost. You have to go and find it again after everything's been erased. But I think the key is when you're with an organization, everything needs to be aligned. And I built Fanology 
we grew it to a company of 35 employees. And then I spun it out and I had a technology company. And I ended up in the hospital weighing 110 pounds in weight. I'm usually about 165. And looping back to our conversation earlier about crying when you poop, uh, I was going to the <laughs> toilet 60 times a day. So six zero? Six zero. I was losing a huge amount of blood and I hadn't noticed. I was so consumed with this business that I had no business running because as a leader, I had passion and purpose for business, mm -hmm. but I didn't have passion and purpose for what I was actually doing within that business. And what I was doing within that business was HR, was business development, was all these things that were so far away from telling stories. Right. So I had to sit down and the doctor came in and the doctor said, right, Richard, hey, you've got yourself into a complete mess. We've got two choices. We're going to cut out all your colon right today and you'll be having a colostomy bag for the rest of your life. Or you can go away. You've got a couple of weeks before it bursts and then you better be within half an hour of a hospital. Otherwise, you're going to die. So what would you like to do? And I burst into tears, um, back to the crying again, only this time I wasn't pooping, and went home and my nine-year-old daughter came into the room and she said, Dad, I know what the problem is. And I said, okay. She said, you're not doing what you love. Really? That's amazing. And I went to say, it's not that simple. We've got the house to pay for. We've got food to pay for. We've got school. And I stopped and I thought, I can't tell this little girl that you cannot live the life that you want. And so I said, thank you. And I got a pen and paper. And this is the journey that I take a lot of my clients on now, right? To upgrade and innovate their life is I wrote Richard Loves at the top. And I wrote Amy, my wife, Ella and Finn, my kids, Roger the dog. And I put a question mark next to him because sometimes I don't <laughs> love him. And I couldn't write anything else. There were lots of things that came to my head, but not enough that came to my heart. Right. So at that point... I realized that I had to make a fundamental change in who I was, and I had to upgrade my operating system. And I went away and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote about everything that I loved, all my success, and I said, if I could live in this every single day, mm. perhaps I have the chance to heal myself and get better and live a life where I am so much more happy and I show up as a better dad and I show up as a better husband and I show up as a better uh, head of a company. And miraculously, amazing things started to happen when I leaned into that. Hmm. And I, the, the area when we look at innovation for me was I'd been building a technology using the minimum viable product methodology, sure. right? Build something, get it out quick, test it, does it work? Great, build on it. And I looked at that and I saw this daunting task. Heal myself or die or get all my colon cut out. And I adopted the minimum viable product process to all areas of my life. Mm. So what's the one thing I can do that's really simple this week to upgrade and show that I can be a better father? What's the one thing I can do in my business? What's the one thing I can do as a husband? What's the one thing I can do with my friends? And every single day, I try to upgrade and push a minimum viable product of Richard James. And then measure the results yeah. and double down where it worked. And it was... it. I don't. I still have my colon. 
I did you bring it with you? I did, funnily okay. enough. It's, uh, it doesn't make me cry when I poop anymore. Um, and so, so what did you what did you work on today? So it, it, it's, it's like your MVP model. Great. Yeah. So uh, my MVP model today is one of the deepest areas that I am not very good at uh, is working out. So today, I went on something that I started two weeks ago, which is running for one and a half minutes and then walking for one and a half minutes. And I did it for half an hour. And I hate doing it, but I feel so great afterwards. Yeah. And that's a minimum viable product of Richard getting fit. I don't have to worry about getting the six pack. I don't have to worry about anything else. It's one small step a day. And through that, I can then pivot really quickly. But as long as I'm living in passion and purpose, then I'm happy and I'm healthy. Um, uh, beautiful story, by the way. I mean, that's amazing and powerful. Um, I'm curious just as to your interest, because I know you started off as a child actor and then started making films. Like, what, what is, the, you know, that evolutionary journey that you've been on? Because I think when you start off as a child actor, it's like you have a different view of the world anyway. Um, you know, like my daughter just got back from summer camp today and, you know, I, I think she liked it, but she, she wasn't on set, you know what I mean? And, and kind of like she's amongst her peers. And so again, that conformity versus, oh, I, my life experience is just different right now. And like, how did that evolve over time? I think it's very easy to say that I had a different childhood being flown out to Budapest to test out commercials for things like Starburst the drink, right? Which if you mm. think about Starburst melted down, that's how it tasted. It was disgusting. Diabetes in a can. Oh my goodness. And I had to do it in three languages. Um, and it's very difficult, you know, very different getting a car driving up and picking you up in the morning and everyone's looking out of their window going, why is there a big blackout car picking you up at five o'clock in the morning and then driving you home? And um, But the truth is, is that I think everyone that I went to school with had something that they were going through that was very different that I couldn't associate with. And so, yes, it was very different. But I I think we all think that everyone else is going through a pretty normal life. Right. And no one is. So like a weird isolation syndrome. We think our problem is the only problem. Yeah, absolutely. And the key is owning up to it. Because when you're able to say, this is what I'm going through, you become so much more attractive. And it goes back to that hero comment that we talked about earlier, right? The hero has vulnerabilities and they're willing to approach it and be honest with it in order to go to the next level in their life. Right. I, had a, I gave a seminar a couple of months ago and I realized that wasn't getting through. And so I had to be the most vulnerable I've ever been. And I talked about you know, looping back to, why do we keep getting back to pooping? This started with you earlier on, but everything poops. <laughs> it does. It does. Every so living I'm, thing, not every. I'm on a stage, and the there's a lady there who's just not being vulnerable. And I told her about the time where my I was really sick. I hadn't left the house for six months, and my daughter had her father daughter dance. So I put on the adult diapers. Yeah, thirty six year old man, and I bought a lot of adult diapers. I can tell you which ones work and which ones don't. And I went to the dance. And if you've ever been to a place where there's a load of men and there's one toilet and there's a lot of alcohol, you realize that one, there's going to be piss everywhere in the toilet. And two, there's massive lines once they've been there yeah. for two hours and drinking. So I'm dancing and then suddenly I'm sort of right. 
I've got to go. And I get there and there's this massive long line. Shit. Literally. I wanted to say literally. Oh. But, but literally sounds better than what I would have said. No, you said. I said literally. L- literally. It sounds awful when you said. Now I feel like I can't speak. <laughs> I can't do the American <laughs> accent. I really can't. And um, so I filled this diaper and I filled it up. So everything was coming out. And I had to go and say to my daughter. Now bear in mind, I'd never told anyone this. And the idea of telling someone you you really shit yourself is, I mean, I want to be sick just saying it now. Yeah. And I had to run home, get showered, come back. And as I came back, all the fathers are dancing with their daughters for the main song, apart from my daughter who's sitting at a table by herself. And she's crying. And in that moment, I felt like the worst father in the world. And in telling that story and being vulnerable about the fact that I have this problem and thankfully I'm great at the moment, but I shit myself in public, that room opened up with so many stories and we bonded in a way that was phenomenal. Mm. And yes, there were a couple of people that said, this is too much for me and they walked out. But the people who stayed and I connected with, just um, magical things happened. So we have to stay vulnerable and we have to be truthful to who we are. I think in some ways, you know, the word authenticity gets thrown around so much. Um, and I think it evolves over time. I think part of it is like, let's say thanks to social media or whatever, like there's this level of transparency we see with people. Some it's like, I'm, I'm going to show you all my highlights. Some is like, my mom's sick again. And then, you know, I got to I, I, I gotta choose whether or not I'm going to ignore that comment or like put a sad face on it or <laughs> do something genuine. But, um, but it is, I think authenticity partially is vulnerability, even with brands. It's like, here's, here's where we messed up, you know, um, and here's how we're fixing it. Wells Fargo, for instance, you know, kind of, did a lot of faux pas, yeah, um, and you know tried to come up with the that I helped work on, but it was um, a campaign around like better every day, right? And, and that's that's an honest truth about everyone. Um, and, and so, uh, just talk a little bit more about authenticity. Um, and my last example of that is like even in the comedy and entertainment world, you know, uh, my one sort of joke or quip is how Drake will tell you like these hyper personal stories. Like, remember that time we was in the drive through and I gave you five dollars, Keisha? And you're like, what? <laughs> it's like a hyper personal story he's telling, but you feel what he's talking about, right? Just whatever disappointment, betrayal. Um, and then even in the comedy world, you got people like Neil Brennan or uh, Chris Gethard who do these versions of comedy shows that, you know, with Neil, he, it was called Three Mics. And so he would go to one mic for stand-up, another mic for one-liners, and the other one was just for these, like, heart-wrenching stories, like you know, wow. things that he struggles with in life. And uh, Chris Gethart, same thing. Like, joke, joke, ha, ha, ha. Oh, I'm struggling with depression, and here's the medication I take. Like, it's, you know, why I need it. And I think those become the viral, like, those are the water cooler moments is that did you, I was entertained, but I was also, you know, I experienced something real. And those comedians, they're being innovative, Right? right? They're being innovative, but they're not being innovative for the sake of it. They're being innovative to get to the core of who they are and connect. Right. And that's the biggest thing. And when we look at connection, we're not meant to really connect with a huge amount of people. We're just not. If you look at, there was a great study done looking at gorillas in, in wherever gorillas are from. The mist. 
Actually, it's not gorillas. It was it was apes, and I think it was Africa. I like the mist. You that like was my pretty good. In the mist joke, so, so <laughs> one one person got no. it. <laughs> it. It took me a few beats, and then I got it. Um, and usually, what you see with a troop is that they grow to fifty people, fifty apes, and then they split off because you can't maintain relationship over fifty people. But they found this one ape that had a troop of one hundred and twenty, and they were sort of shit. How's this was happening? Adolf Hitler. Oh, wow. No, sorry. Too, I, I prefer the mist. Too, Let's go back to the mist. <laughs> I, I, I don't, uh, sorry, I just had to do the pun. I didn't even know if that was a good like punchline, but the pun I had I had to do. Yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> I don't know how to get back from that one. <laughs> My goodness. So he had 120, sorry. Yeah, and what they realized was that what he was doing was every day going down, putting his hands on the other ape's shoulder, looking them in the eye and holding that stare. And he was being completely vulnerable with the ape. And that meant that he'd spend his whole day going around this 150. But through him being completely vulnerable and connecting, he was able to keep a larger group together. And I think social media is a wonderful tool for communicating with people. But so many people look at Instagram and I want to make my feed like so-and-so. And this podcast, I imagine today's episode is very different from the very first episode you did because it's grown. And it's grown because you're willing to be authentic and you're willing to connect with people. And you look at some of those nasty comments and you'll take them on board. Or do you just not look at the nasty comments? No, no, no. I, I look at the nasty comments. Of course. I remember one of the first ones I got was like uh, somebody asked for podcast rec- recommendations on Twitter. And they were like, oh, I like Innovation Crush, but the host talks too much. I was like, <laughs> like okay, that's weird and fair. But, but I, I've learned to sort of... I kind of came up in the entertainment industry as well, and it's a very subjective industry anyway. So you you learn to filter really quick of like what's good feedback for you, what's re- re- what resonates with you versus what just hurts your feelings, you know, or what's positive feedback. You might you may tell me I did a great job, and I'm like nah, that I wasn't there, yet. like that I wasn't where I wanted to be. There's a great story about Marlon Brando, who on the first day of shooting would do a take. And if the director said, that's great, let's move on, he'd know that he didn't have to work today and he didn't have to work on this movie because no one on that set recognized whether he was doing great stuff or not. Right. And we have to make sure that we're surrounding ourselves by people who are going to hold us accountable and say, hey, you talk too much. And then you can go, sod that, that's who I am. Or, hmm, okay, perhaps yeah. I'm talking too much for another reason. Yeah. I thought about both, you know, I thought about both those things, you know, and... um. I do de- like deliberately take a little bit more of a breather and pause in, in, in the midst of conversation. It may not feel like that today, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but here's what I want to ask you this: You wrote innovation down on a piece of paper in front of you. Yeah, when we walked in. Why? Why is that? I wrote it down, and that's the only just so for the audience. That's the only word that's on the paper. There's a couple of reasons that I wrote it down. The first is a point of making sure I bring conversation back to innovation. The second is because I have a question mark around it. And I have a question mark around it because I struggle with it. There's an element where do we have to have innovation and we, as, as entrepreneurs, we want to be innovative and we want to be lauded for doing something great and new. And I know that for me, chasing innovation has sometimes led me down a path that has made me really sick and inauthentic. And that's because there's an element of that word that's tied to my ego. 
And that's really dangerous because that can pull me well and truly off course. But when I don't chase innovation, but I trace truth and my authentic truth, sometimes it's not innovative at all. And sometimes new things happen that I had no idea were innovative. But people start saying, wow, that's really cool. Where did you get this from? And I said, well, I wasn't trying to do anything special. It just came from within me and my past experiences and acknowledging all that. So, yeah, it's. I, I love the fact that you brought that up, that that's the only word that I put there. But it is a big question mark that I have in my life. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, it by itself as a word, it's sort of empty when it comes to industry, right? Work and business and things like that. Um, a lot of the things that we explore on this show, it just we tap into the human side of it, right? And so... You know, I'm a firm believer that the best innovation comes from who you are, like naturally. And usually, in most of these conversations, I will find a moment. Uh, we had a conversation earlier with a gentleman who was talking about uh, how he played soccer until he got to college. And he was like, I'm not following all these rules, right? And he's like, <laughs> but that has stuck with him. It was it, it was a negative at that point in time. Quit, party, drunk, you know, was drinking, all, that, all what you do in college. But it stuck with him and, you know, he's sort of a, a lone wolf in a good way, you know? So it's like the way he breaks the innovation rules, are, it, it's kind of reflective of who he is. Um, another example is um, uh, Miguel McKelvey, the founder of WeWork. Yes. Uh, and one of the things I learned in our conversation was that he grew up in sort of a community style home. Like his mom and her two best friends were all single parents. And of course they shared resources and rides and clothes and like did everything together. And so the reason we work works, yes, it's a smart business and you've seen other copycats try to like match it, but the reason it's like exponentially far, it's an extension of, of him, you know, and he cares about community. He cares about shared resources and, you know, it's reflected in what people experience when they're inside of a WeWork. So, um, so yes. I love that story. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, it gave me goosebumps just, just yeah. now retelling it. But especially in light of what you said, it's, it's where we look at it as a result and not a process. Ah, that's the key. That's the key. And it's so difficult not to put it into result. Yeah. Because everything we do in our life is surrounding us by let's celebrate the result. Yeah. Not the process. You, you, like it's, it, there's, it's one of the reasons people don't speak up in brainstorms, right? It's because you walk into a room, in my head, I think I'm supposed to go present the best answer as opposed to contribute thought, which right. is a, a, right or wrong. You know, there's probably no such thing. It's just like, let's have a conversation. Like, well, what about robots? Like, it may not have anything to do with what you're doing. If you're talking about candy bars, you know, and then somebody goes, yeah, right, and, and it's this participatory process rather than I need to go in and have an idea about these candy bars, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think innovation goes hand in hand with failure. And we just had a team up at Microsoft. Uh, they've got their big one week where they bring all their um, engineers together and they do this m huge hackathon where they hack so many different bits and pieces. And... Um, some of them work and some of them fail. But when you look at anyone who's innovative, they've gone through so much failure, so much failure. And we fear that, which is why a lot of people, I think, don't innovate and aren't authentic. Speaking of segues, um, you like post-it notes. I do love post-it notes. I love post-it notes enormously. I have 
I think, every color of Post-it note available. <laughs> um, I have a cupboard full of them, absolutely full of them. Because when I was ill, one of the things I realized is I keep too much in my head. And I need to get it out of my head so that I can focus on my own voice. And so I do this process where I write down everything that I can possibly, I do it at the end of the year with my family, everyone gets post-it notes. Everyone write down what you want to do this year. Crazy, wonderful, boring, dull, stuff that is just clogging up the space. And then we stick it all up on a wall and we work out what are we going to do. But we put it into a system. And Clark Voti, our friend, mm-hmm. helped me out with putting this together. Oh, nice. This is part of Good his Clark. process. Yeah. Clark's just had an amazing impact on transforming my life in terms of getting that organized. So we go through and then we do an impact ease chart based on what is the highest impact and easy. Let's get that done first. And then we go to the highest impact and hard. But you don't want to start, and many of us do, with the low impact and hard. So we get that, we get rid of all that stuff and we start to plan our year. Or in my case, I plan my week this way. I get post-it notes and I put them all up. And then there's this great deal of satisfaction on ripping that post-it note off. Um, I also use Trello, um, which has that post-it board element to it. So I have a digital version of that as well. But there's nothing quite like writing something on a piece of paper and sticking it up on a wall and seeing 200, 300 post-it notes. If you go to my Instagram account, you'll see uh, photos that I've done with Clark where you see boards just full of them. Or my my kids put some of the weirdest stuff that I would never have thought they wanted to do on a post-it note. And suddenly I'm aware of it and we can try and make that happen. That's interesting. I I was at, um, years ago, I was at Tony Shea's house Mm. and he has a room with like, and there's post-it notes all over. It's like, it's almost like a fake, it's almost like an exhibit. Like you, when they give you, you go on a tour, but then you, you know, it's a long story, but, and and here's where Tony does blah, blah, blah. And it was like, oh, this is actually cool and weird. Like you wouldn't expect it. Um, but you also, you, I mean, you share it on, like I saw it on Instagram, which I thought was cool, especially with the family. And I was like, I'm stealing that. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Well, so. I think when you look at family, your personal brand, you can't, Separate that from your family. Absolutely. Just the same as your business, you can't separate from your family. So you have to involve them in everything. And I think that's one of the problems also we see in society now is we don't see our parents involving kids in what they do at work. Yeah. And so there's this complete void of a third of your day where they don't know what mum and dad does and they don't know whether there's passion and purpose there. Right. And they don't know whether they're pushing innovation because it's completely blocked off and separated. Well, I think the reverse works too. You know, I think in business, like I used to run an innovation team at a, you know, one of the largest media agencies in the world. Yeah. And you don't talk about life enough, right? So I see what you do in your career on a day-to-day basis, but I may not realize you were also going through some struggles at home or you have a sick parent or whatever the thing is. All I know is that whether I'm your boss or your peer or a subordinate, it's like, it's all about the work. You know, and there, you lose the spirit of humanity, and that that also sort of affects the innovation potential of said organization. You know, to not recognize people as human beings. One hundred percent, and we have to acknowledge they're human beings in order to get the very best out of them. Yeah, and that's how companies can really innovate because the innovation comes from people. Yeah, 
And so we've got to put ourselves in the best version of ourselves every single day. Um, you've seen a lot of people. I mean, your client list is ridiculous. I, my favorite was Waka Flocka. That was, I was like, oh. uh, he called me his gangster nerd, <laughs> which, uh, which uh, it took me a while to the other own that. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I didn't have a question. There. I just thought I was looking at Jillian Michaels, uh, Shay Michelle. Like it's, it's a pretty uh, amazing roster. Um, just, I guess I do have one question. Just going with that, you know, those first, that first, who are you? Um, you know, what was what's, what's that first sign of somebody getting it? You know, what's the first thing where you go like, okay, now they're getting it. Laughter. It's that moment where they get through all the bullshit of who they are and they get to something that actually touches their heart and they're excited by and they let out this laugh like a child. And, you know, in that moment, we found gold and they've taken off the mask. And what we have to do is say, hey, 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 hold that mask over there a minute. Let's explore this laughter. And then it becomes uncomfortable because they realize that they're showing you who they really are. Mm-hmm. And that's really vulnerable. So it's, it, for me, it's, I love what I do. And I love that moment where I'm sitting there looking into someone's eyes and they laugh. And then often when you point it out, there's a little bit of a tear. Hmm. That's amazing. Um, seeing the things that you've seen, you know, uh, here, abroad, et cetera. Um, what do you see out there that you currently have an innovation crush on? You know, it might be a piece of tech. It might be a, you know, a, a meal you've had, a movement. I don't know. Hmm, that's a great question. Who is innovating? You know, or what? Or what? Well, for me, it always comes back to the person behind the what. Fair enough. Right. And so I look at someone like um, a Brendan Bouchard who is innovating the self-help space, uh, doing a really, really great job at how do you engage, how do you, how do you use social media, how do you deliver content that really makes a difference in people's lives and continue to. Because a lot of self-help stuff, you sort of sign up for it and then you get lost, yeah. right? And Instagram then, quotes. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and, and he's being vulnerable, he's doing more videos on Instagram and things like that. Um, ah, I've got one. And it is sort of a what? Facebook. <laughs> the reason why I think Facebook is being, has got an innovation crush at the moment is because the amount of money they lost yesterday. Yeah, a lot of money. What was it? It was billions, yeah, right? Yeah, like 300, it was like a ridiculous amount of money. And why have, they, why have they lost that money? They've lost that money because they're focusing on audience engagement, without serving ads, and they're focusing on stories which they haven't worked out how to monetize. And so there is a company that's innovating and taking a massive, massive hit. The biggest hit that we've seen on the stock market in one day for one company, because they know that in order to do this, they're going to go to the next level. So they don't mind having that hit. And that's true innovation, because at that moment, they're not doing it for the glory today or tomorrow. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, again, I think about that the phrase, what got you here won't get you there. And when they do, as, as like, there's a game plan behind that. Like, they don't know necessarily, they probably don't necessarily know what it will be. But the fact that if somebody can set a new precedent and how business is done, you know, that's 
maybe not so much reliant on advertising, you know, or, you know, breaches of privacy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so uh, I'm excited to see, like, I don't, they're not going anywhere. Like, no. <laughs> so I'm excited to see what the upcoming months and, and year looks like. Them. We're going to see some really, really exciting stuff out of there. And we're going to see some really exciting stuff out of the influencer space when you look at what's coming from China. Mm. And these people now that are making a fortune out of live streaming, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, where these live streaming platforms are just connecting with people because we've lost that connection, which is what Facebook is so good at. Mm -hmm. Me connecting with my friends that I haven't seen from England and they've just had a baby and I've never spoken to them, but now I'm celebrating they've just had a little baby. Right. I don't really know who they are, but I'm connecting to a certain extent more than I would have done I, 50 I years ago. I a lot of Facebook guilt. Like, it's for your friend's birthdays today. I'm like, I don't have time to click on everybody's birthday. And why do you feel guilty about that? Because like, I feel like I should say something. Like, I feel like I should, re especially if it's like, oh, I, I know Joe really well. Or I'm like, well, it was my best friend in high school and I haven't talked to him. I was like, eh. And eh. how many of them do you think are sitting there on their birthday going, oh, I didn't get a message from him. All of oh. them. <laughs> Every last one of them, Richard. But I think that's uh, no, the no. thing with guilt, right? Yeah. And that's the thing that often stops us being the best best version of ourselves or innovation because we have to make a decision that is going to kill off a load of other alternatives Absolutely. and we feel guilty about that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, but you know, I do feel like a hint of like, ah, I, should, I should say something, but uh, like I'm, I'm quickly move on. One of the uh, things that I've just done in terms of keeping in contact with people is that I was notoriously bad at getting back to people. And so uh, another one of our friend Clark's suggestions, mm -hmm. he said, Richard, you're not getting people's voicemails back. So what can you do? So what, what I've done is I record a new voicemail every single day. And the new voicemail is, hi, you're through to Richard. Today is Tuesday, the 27th of so-and-so. I'll get back to you within 48 hours. The impact has been phenomenal because now I'm holding myself accountable, mm -hmm. but also there's an expectation set on who I'm going to be getting back to. And it's been, in terms of the weight off my shoulder of having this backlog of all this stuff to do, it's just brilliant. And people love the fact that, oh, he's recorded this today. I'm feeling as if... I know I'm only speaking to a voicemail, but I'm making a bigger connection to Richard because he was actually leaving this today, which feels like it's for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. I'm stealing like all your tactics, by the way. <laughs> Go for it. That's <laughs> what it's about, sharing. Uh, I feel like I have like a, a ton more questions and not enough time. So I'm going to skip ahead to the last thing. You ready? I'm ready. Complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is? Scary as hell continue because it requires me to be completely authentic and fail a ton before it's going to work but i'm willing to do it and i will face that fear 100 percent. well stated and well dressed <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> i love wearing shirt and ties i know i like I'm, i gotta step my game up now um now i feel guilty about not wearing see it's just i just have guilt all the time. but you know what I'm that's part of your personal brand yes. is what you wear and too many people wear stuff just for the ease of it. Right. Whereas the key is for us to get up in the morning and put on that clothes that make us the very best version of ourselves. And if that's a suit, great. And if it's flip-flops and, and uh, board shorts like Laird Hamilton, own it. Yeah. And don't change it for anyone else. Well, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work in fashion. One of, the, one of my theories was always like fashion is such a great democratizer of expression of self. 
you know, it like it doesn't cost you much. It's not like a car or a house or something, you know, something else that's a, that's a material expression of, of who you are. Um, and the fact that I can go to a thrift store and find something that's uniquely me, you know, and mix that, you know, uh, with something that's, a, a, I don't know, a Gucci wallet, right? Whatever the thing is, um, it just becomes my personal combination every day is that extension of who I am. Like I told you when we were talking earlier, it's like I'm a mood dresser, like, a you know, I might feel like a suit one day and I might feel like I don't have any flip flops, but you don't want to see my feet. Um, ah, that are fine. Vulnerability <laughs> comes out. I'm actually recording this barefoot. Um, where can people find more uh, Richard James? Uh, go to richardjames.com. All spelled phonetically correct. Richard J-A-N-E-S.com. Right. And of course, all the social medias. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for coming in. I feel slightly better about the word innovation. Good. And I uh, feel slightly better about you know everything. <laughs> so thank you for having and me on. And this has been great. And pooping and crying. We had a good discussion yeah, about yeah, pooping yeah, and crying. I do feel a lot better about that. <laughs> Probably more pooping, less crying. There we go. Not as much as you did. But anyway, uh, everyone, this has been another <laughs> installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs> 